3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders, past and present of the Kulin Nation. We recognise their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning, you're listening to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR Community Radio. The time is 7am. It is the 11th of May. I'm joined here by Fung, Evie, Carnegie, Steph. We've got a full house. And sorry, my name is Genevieve. We've got a full house today, which is very exciting. How's everyone going? Good, good. Um, Very excited for today's show. Yeah, it's got a really jam-packed show. Maybe we should go through... Um, so we always forget to do this. <laughs> so I'm like marking it, uh, first cab off the rank. Um, what have we got coming up? Uh, so we've got an interview at the start with, um, Cheryl Saunders, who is, um, a constitutional lawyer and has written widely about constitutional law. And she's going to talk to us about the ban, the government's ban on citizens returning from India. And after that, we've got um, an interview with Kim and Emma um, about their latest project, May and Now, um, which explores the lives and experiences of Vietnamese outworkers, um, yeah, throughout the 80s, 90s and 2000s. And, yeah, we talk about a range of things, uh, what outwork is, the working conditions and uh, what it means to be Vietnamese, which is exciting. Um, and later on this e- this morning, we're going to talk to Janine Harani, who is a Palestinian advocate, campaign and educator, and she's going to be talking to us about what's happening in Sheikh Jarrah. Awesome. That sounds like such a good show, an array of different items to explore. Um, just wondering, did anyone get caught in that crazy or the crazy weather that's going on right now? Sure did. There's floods all the way. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, most of us, the corner of our street just floods, so I always start my Tuesday mornings if it's raining, we're just like immediately stepping in like <laughs> shin deep water. A river. <laughs> Damn. Um, yeah, there is, speaking of which, there is a severe weather warning on for, you guessed it, heavy rainfall today. Um, it's going to be a top of 14, low of 9. I think the rain's going to hit around about 8 a.m. and then it's just going to be cloudy for the rest of the day. So bring your raincoats and umbrellas out wherever you're going. Or make it a working from home day. That's what I'm yeah. doing. <laughs> <laughs> Conveniently just make it a working from home day. Um, did anyone get up to anything exciting on the weekend? No, not really. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm waiting for you to tell us all about your polling. I know. For once... <laughs> For once in the last few weeks, I actually did something kind of exciting. I, um, uh, for my birthday, I took everyone uh, of my friends uh, to bowling, mm. uh, which, which I haven't done probably since high school. Um, I thought it would be nice to like blend an activity with like socializing, but kind of realized that 
these are really tricky things to blend. Everyone kind of arrived and I was like, okay, we've got an hour. <laughs> Everyone just bowl and like everyone was obviously trying to talk and mingle but I was like no <laughs> I was gonna say like is it like the full like 12 yeah, like when you're 12 years old and you have like the full birthday party experience with hot chips yeah. everywhere and <laughs> it's not quite like that also like I realized that I'd never been in the position of like taking charge of like a party <laughs> or like t- being in charge of like the booking at like these events and like yeah, it was very <laughs> different, very different um, experience, but it was it was really fun. I'd highly recommend it. It, yeah. it is hurting adults as difficult as hurting yeah. children around. Oh my god, trying I to get it's worse. Yeah, <laughs> trying to get people there on time. I was like, you're 20 minutes late. Now you only have 40 minutes to, to bowl. do bowl. <laughs> um, but it was good fun. I wanted to try to persuade everyone to do laser tag, but. That was a little bit more of an effort. They actually do that for adults. but Oh, yes. I want that for my birthday party. Yeah, a bit of exercise, a bit of a healthy competitive spirit. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, it was a really nice weekend. Um, all right. Well, I reckon we're going to go to a quick announcement and we'll be back with some news headlines. Thursday, the 20th of May, Wyndham Humanitarian Network is holding a free Bring Your Bills Day in Wyndham Vale. Members of the community who have had questions about bills or debts can attend the event to speak to lawyers, financial counsellors, ombudsman schemes and other community organisations. The event will run from 11.30am to 7.30pm on Thursday, the 20th of May at the Warangal Darung Centre at 19 Communal Road, Wyndham Vale. Wyndham Vale Humanitarian Network is a 3CR supporter. Okay, now for the news headlines this morning. Evie, what have you got? Well, this morning is, uh, well, this week is very exciting because the budget's going to be announced. Um, I don't know how I can make that possibly more exciting. <laughs> um, but the main sort of issue in the budget this year is that apparently Australians have $130 billion worth of savings and the Treasurer, Josh Frydenberg, really wants to sp- us to spend it all, uh, especially after the pandemic. So today he's going to um, reveal how heavily the economy is on everyone spending as much money as possible. Don't think it's going to work out exactly no. as he's planned. No. Um, one of the things I really hate about the budget is that they just run it like a household budget. Mm. They talk about how much they want to save and mm. not spend it on infrastructure. Um, like we, you never really look at the budget and say, oh, that you know, every other state is getting this much money for new railways, new tramways, that sort of thing. It, it, Victoria is probably quite stands alone in that regard, but I guess we'll see what kind of spending he wants us to do. Maybe give me money. <laughs> uh, everyone, I hope everyone heard that Evie has made <laughs> a call for money. Josh Frydenberg, give me money. Yeah. Um, so the, the one of the things that's appeared in the Age today is uh, highlighting in, in that context that Australians aren't spending money is that um, there's very large house deposits with all the four major banks. 
Um, and so um, this is leading the call for um, Australians to spend more money in the next year. Uh, other um, news this week? Uh, I was going to say, I guess this is a potentially pre-election budget if we go to an election in the next year. Yes, that's right. So he, he, they've got to make nice as much as possible. Yeah. Um, and so maybe we'll get year. the stimulus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's been talk about funding for aged care. And yes, um, aged care and the NDIS as yeah. well. So that will be a very interesting thing to watch out for. Um, there's been a lot of dispute. Um, there's been some leaks, in fact, about the kind of cuts that are going to be made to NDIS. Mm. Um, and obviously there's you know, a lot of discussion about how that's going to affect people who are already in a precarious position after the pandemic. Yeah. So hopefully um, the the pushback against that to those uh, leaks that have been made in the last few months uh, means they've uh, revised and pulled back some of those cuts. Other news this week, um, there was also a federal court challenge to the India travel ban. Uh, unfortunately, that didn't go through. Um, but the judge dismissed the first round of the case. So lawyers for Gary Newman, a 73-year-old Australian man stranded in Bangalore, filed an urgent application in the federal court last Wednesday, and he was seeking to overturn the emergency declaration that was made uh, the other week under the Biosecurity Act. Um, the decision took effect last Monday, and as you'll remember, we talked about it on the show, the, one of the penalties was a $66,000 fine and five years jail or both, uh, for including citizens, and so this was deemed quite controversial. Yeah, and I know after we talked about it on the show, there was, you know, Scott Morrison was saying, well, someone was saying, um, well, people won't go to jail. It's like, well, that's what the announcement was, so... Yes. <laughs> that's what people think will happen. Yes, exactly. If it's, if it's part of it, then, <laughs> of course, there is the threat that people will go to jail. Um, so uh, that's, uh, those are the news headlines for this morning and we'll be back with an interview after this break. The Rainbow Door is a free, culturally safe, specialist helpline for all LGBTIQA plus Victorians. The helpline provides information, support and referral from experienced peer workers on issues including mental health, family violence, relationships, suicide prevention and sexual assault. For information, support and referral, call the Rainbow Door on 1800 729 367. That's 1800 729 367, 10am to 6pm every day. Switchboard is a 3CR supporter. Okay, so this morning we're going to be speaking with Cheryl Saunders who is a laureate professor at Melbourne Uni and is also the founding director of the Centre for Contemporary Constitutional Studies. She has a special interest in constitutional law and comparative public law, including federalism and intergovernmental relations and constitutional design and change, which she writes on widely. And welcome to the show, Cheryl. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? I'm good. Um, so... I think a lot of people at the moment are questioning the government's ban on citizens returning from India because it's never happened before and people expect that once you're a citizen you can always come back to your own country. Um, can you shed some light on this? Um, do you think it's legal to ban citizens from returning? 
Well, um, we, we do know a little bit more about this than we did this time yesterday because there has just been a federal court case yeah. uh, dealing with parts of the challenge to the uh, lawfulness of the ban. Um, and the federal court has decided that the ban is lawful, although the questions of whether it's constitutional uh, haven't yet been dealt with. Yeah, and I think that's the question a lot of people are asking. And, of course, a lot of people are not across exactly how something is constitutional or not. In your view, could you explain a little bit about whether or not this is constitutional? Yes, I I know. It's a very difficult distinction to draw, isn't it? Um, uh, So the constitutional question is this. Um, uh, Under the Constitution, can the government... uh, uh, through legislation, uh, prevent citizens from returning uh, to Australia? Uh, and the, the, the answer to the question is complicated because the Constitution, as you know, is a very old document mm. uh, and it doesn't make provision for citizenship at all. Uh, so it's not a straightforward case of looking at the Constitution uh, and seeing what it says about citizens. Um, so the arguments that it's unconstitutional, I think, fall into two categories. Um, one, there is an argument that perhaps in some way you can find an implied right uh, for people who are citizens to return to Australia. I think that's pretty unlikely as an argument, but who knows? I mean, it, it, it is possible to develop a, you know, a, a clever argument along those lines. Mm. But the other argument, the other attack uh, on the constitutional validity of this legislation is that perhaps there is no power, a head of power, for uh, the Commonwealth Parliament to do this. And so this is really a federalism argument. The Constitution divides uh, powers to do various things between the Commonwealth and the states. And if you look down the list of Commonwealth powers, uh, there's no power... Uh, with respect to citizens, although there is a power with respect to aliens. Uh, and so th- th- there is a you know, tech- obviously technical argument uh, that maybe that just the, the, the federal level of government, the Commonwealth, literally uh, doesn't have a power in its list that would allow it to do this. Yeah, and I think, yeah, like you were saying before, that is quite a difficult distinction for people to draw because it seems quite broad and you can read into what's written in the Constitution and it's, yeah. Um, the other yeah, thing... Yeah, you, you just don't get as much insight as you might like by yeah. just looking at the Constitution itself. Yeah. Um, and the other thing I think people are wondering is how the Biosecurity Act fits into this and how it gives the government this level of power. Okay. Well, this is the situation with, with the Biosecurity Act. Um, whatever the situation about constitutional power, we know that as, for, as, a, as a common law right, as an ordinary principle of law, Australians um, have a right to return to their own country. You know, that's, that's just one of the consequences uh, of, of being a citizen. Uh, now, that right, leaving the Constitution aside, um, that right can be overridden by legislation if the parliament uh, um, does so clearly enough. Uh, And this is where the Biosecurity Act comes in. The question that the court was dealing with yesterday was, uh, is the Biosecurity Act clear enough 
that the parliament intended to um, make a law uh, or authorise delegated legislation preventing citizens, as opposed to non-citizens, uh, from coming into Australia. Uh, and the judge decided uh, in his ruling towards the end of the day yesterday uh, that it was sufficiently clear and therefore the Biosecurity Act overrides the common law right of citizens to return to Australia in these circumstances. Yeah, um, it's a difficult one because if you're born in India and become a citizen here, you then have India doesn't do dual citizenship, so you have to give up your citizenship, um, and so you yes. expect that you could come back to Australia anytime you need it, especially you, in the middle of you know a crisis. Yeah, you 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 absolutely would, and those are questions that really the Parliament needed to take into account in passing this broad-ranging legislation. Mm. I mean, one of the arguments that was put to the court. Uh, yesterday was um, surely if Parliament uh, intends to do something like uh, override a common law right to allow citizens return to return to Australia, it should do so very clearly, uh, both to demonstrate that the Parliament understood what it was doing uh, and to ensure that the community could see what Parliament was doing. Yeah. Um, and that argument did not... Uh, went out uh, in the court yesterday. The court thought that there were enough other indications in the legislation um, for uh, the judge to be able to conclude that that was the effect, uh, that that was its, its effect on Australian citizens in India. Um, but nevertheless, as a matter of principle, uh, all of us, um, you, your listeners, me, um, should think hard about... Uh, what this whole episode suggests about the way in which Parliament passes legislation. Well, exactly. And I think um, the other question is, if somebody, you know, does feel racially discriminated by this, is there any way, is there any redress for them under the Constitution? No. Um, there is nothing... Uh, uh, if, if, this, if, if the arguments uh, about constitutionality um, uh, proceeds, perhaps that might be part uh, of an argument, uh, although I think it unlikely, um, because ours is not a constitution uh, that, for the most part, specifically protects rights. Uh, unlike most constitutions around the world, we rely very heavily uh, on parliaments and governments doing the right thing. And that's why I think that one of the lessons from all of this is let's keep an eye uh, on um, what parliament does and how it accounts for it. Yeah, um, that's, a, that's a heavy thing to kind of reckon with, I think, that um, we are so reliant on the government to do the right thing. Yep. Yeah. Yes, um, it is. It, 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 it's, it's placing a very heavy burden on the integrity of institutions uh, and on the watchfulness of citizens. And as, as, as you can see, these are complicated questions and people have busy lives. Absolutely. Well, hopefully this court case at least brings it to the forefront and gets people thinking about it. Well, it's not clear now um, whether the... Uh, yes, so hopefully even yesterday's court proceedings will do that. We, we, it's not clear now whether the rest of this case will go ahead 
because, as you know, the government has said that it will lift the ban on yeah. uh, on the 15th of May in any event, which is the end of the week. So I suspect that it's likely that um, the, the constitutional questions won't be litigated this time around. But let's wait and see. Well, that's all we can do really is wait and see. Yeah. Um, well, we might wrap it up there, but thank you so much for your time this morning, Cheryl. It's a pleasure, and I'm sorry it's such a complicated story. No, that's why we needed you on here to explain it. So thank you so much. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Bye. We've got a common enemy. The same government that locks up these refugees just behind us here at the Park Hotel is the same government that's going for our rights, trying to attack the very limited gains that casuals have. And so when union activists take up the cause of refugees amongst their fellow workers, it's not an act of charity. It's about building workers' united self-defence mechanism, understanding that we're all part of the same battle. Subscribe to 3CR in 2021. Feed Radical Radio. Subscribe today. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 94198377. You're tuned into Tuesday Breakfast. Uh, the time is 7.21 a.m. We're going to go to a track now um, by the new release from London-based artist Little Sims. Um, she's dropping an album very soon, um, and she's released a couple of tracks with some incredible music videos as well, which I'd highly recommend checking out as well. Uh, this track is titled Woman, and it's featured uh, features Cleo Soul. Women got the melanin dripping, L-O-N-D-O-N, city girl living in the back, looking like fire, chili pepper, you're a girl, tougher than imperial leather. He was getting bitter while she was getting better, diamonds are forever. Miss Sierra Leone looking like a gem, works hard in the week, party on the weekend. Know you want to live with no one watching how you spend, got a thing for the finer things and the finer men. <laughs> Miss Tanzania, she a do or die. Says she wanna know more about the Sukuma tribe. We hit the zoo, once wasn't enough. Got a notion for the knowledge, you could scuba dive. Miss Ethiopia can play so jazzy. They sit you down to school, you want Selassie. Tell them you're not in without a woman, no. Woman to woman, I just wanna see you glow. Tell them what's up. No, you 
repping for your country, sun kissing your brown skin, looking like money. Says she focusing on being an accountant. When you have beauty and brains, they find it astounding. Why she been getting it on her own, nigga? Self-made, ain't nobody doing gold, nigga. Now, Miss India always speaks with her chest. Got respect from her people, cause she leads them the best. Hmm, real life queen in the flesh. Know the crown get heavy, still it bees on your head. Brooklyn ladies, know you hustle on the daily. Innovative, just like Donna Summer in the 80s. Your time is seeing you glow now. Intelligence and elegance, show them how. Miss Jamaica, understand food for the soul. She get up in the kitchen, know she throw down. Ain't nothing without a woman, no. Woman to woman, I just wanna see you glow. Tell them what's up. Gonna go, calm with it, never let the marijuana fail. Though a sucker for the romance, take you to the homeland. One way she ain't coming back, nah. All I see is black stars and I friggin' love it, yeah, yeah. Time's up, tell the people that we coming, yeah, yeah. Done being in the shadow, going public, yeah, yeah. Don't know how to bear it, how to stomach, yeah, yeah. Hand over the shit and let us run it, yeah, yeah, yeah. All we know is looking cool, that's all they know is stairs, yeah. Ain't nothing without a woman, no. Woman to woman, I just wanna see you glow, glow, glow. I love how you go from zero to 100 and leave the dust behind. You got this and leave the wave you like. You woman got to woman, this. I just wanna see you glow. Tell us what's up. You know what Sometimes, you know, I just look around and I just think of all the things we've gone through, all the great things in life and all the horrible things, that are just the other half of the great things in life. And how you don't really get greatness without sacrifice. You don't get good things without a little bit of pain. And how just playing in the background there is a new song by Little Sims called Woman. I'd highly recommend checking out her new album when it drops. It's called Sometimes I'm an Introvert. So now we're um, going to play an interview that I did with Kim Lam and Emma Doe about their latest project, May at Nya, a book that explores the lives and experiences of Vietnamese outworkers. In this interview, we discuss the working conditions of those sewing from home, the history of outwork in Australia, and shared common experiences of being second-generation Vietnamese people in this country. Thank you, Emma and Kim, for joining me today. Your book, May Nha, uh, meaning Working From Home, uh, explores the stories and experiences of Vietnamese outworkers in Australia. Could you tell us a bit more about what the book entails? So Working From Home contains stories from both Vietnamese outworkers and their families. Um, and it is uh, both an overview of 
what outwork entailed in Australia, what that actually meant. So outwork describes um, workers in the fashion manufacturing sector who sewed from home and who do who still sew from home. Outwork was actually a really big part of the production chain in Australian fashion from about the late 70s all the way up to the 2000s. Um, so the Vietnamese community, uh, especially Vietnamese refugees and migrants, made up a large portion of outworkers throughout the 80s, 90s and early 2000s. Um, and we thought that these stories, you know, we, we're familiar with them in the community um, just from having friends and parents who were outworkers themselves. Um, personally, my parents weren't actually outworkers, but I have a close friend whose mum sewed from home for like 30 years. And so we thought these were stories that were so rich in, you know, telling the one side of the Vietnamese experience in Australia that we just had not heard before. Like personally, I didn't know very much about outwork until I was in my 20s. Um, I was born in the in 93. So I think I personally just missed the height of outwork um, in the community. So it was something that I really wanted to know more about. So I was babysat after school at various aunties and uncles' homes in their garages or bungalows or in um, a spare room that they had where they squashed all of their machinery and piles of um, clothing and fabric together. Um, it was just something I'd never thought about because it was a, a normal part of my life after school. So definitely appreciated being approached by Emma to work on the project um, and viewing that childhood from an adult lens and from a more uh, historical context and fitting it into the fashion industry's history as well. So yeah, it's been very interesting looking at it all again from the angle of illustrating this book. I mean, both of you have now just said, you know, working or outworkers in some capacity have touched your lives, whether that's being in factories yourself or knowing people who have worked as outworkers, what was it like for both of you and also for the people that you interviewed to unpack their stories and their experiences? You know, you were saying that you sort of took this for granted or didn't even notice it because it was happening in the background. Um, what was the response that you got from the outworkers when you were asking all these questions about their, their experience of working and sewing from home? Yeah, I think outworkers have touched everyone's lives. Like if you've worn clothing that's been made in Australia um, from the 80s and 90s um, all the way up to now, there's a high chance that outworkers have made that piece of clothing, like especially um, in the 80s and 90s, you know, Target, Country Road, Jag, lots of chain stores, even high-end designer stores um, would have used outworkers as um, part of their production chain. So, yeah, it's not just a story, I think, that, is specific to the Vietnamese community, although that's what we've decided to focus on. Um, and to answer your question, which is about how outworkers responded to our interest in their lives, um, a lot of them just were a little bit miffed as to why we wanted to interview them in the first place. I guess, as Kim was saying, you know, it's, it was just their job and just part of their daily lives. It wasn't something that they found particularly novel. And so some of them were quite shy and we got a lot of rejections initially. You know, people didn't want to talk about this aspect of their lives. I think both because outwork has been quite lowly paid historically, um, 
you know, some people we spoke to got paid 50 cents to $2 for sewing a top or something similar. And, you know, sometimes that top could take anywhere from half an hour to an hour, depending on the complexity. Um, so, yeah, historically, it hasn't been a well-paid job, which I think, you know, people maybe had a little bit of shame about and didn't want to return to that point, in, like to talk about that point in their lives again. Um, and then the people that did agree to speak to us were just so generous. Like they invited us into their homes and into their workplaces um, and told us their life story. <laughs> so They were we, pretty much we were like really family grateful. friends, instant family friends. Um, it was really easy to connect with them like kin. And that might be a thing about being Vietnamese and the, the way the Vietnamese people relate to each other. It's often very intimate, the language that is used. So, yeah, I guess even though we got lots of rejections and not humongous quantities of people to interview, the people that were willing to be interviewed were very transparent. Mm. Um, I've noticed, Kim, that throughout the book, um, you, I mean, the drawings are amazing and you captured, I think, the expressions um, of, of the artworkers really well. I also really appreciated the, the really sort of little um, uh, drawings here and there that perhaps wouldn't mean that much to maybe people who didn't grow up in the Vietnamese community, like um, the little bottle of Yo sang in English. Yeah. Green. The green oil. oil. I'm sure it has another name other than green oil, but I, I don't Vietnamese know. What people it is. are very literal. Yeah. So they just call it green oil because it's a green oil. Yeah. Well, I mean, these, yeah. um, these, sta- the, like there's a statue and, and, um, trinkets and things that you've got scattered throughout the book. Were these things that you had picked up from visiting, um, outworkers and their families or was that your, um, creative decision to have these in there? Oh, both. Um, they definitely definitely didn't come out of nowhere. So um, I grew up around those objects, but then just seeing them repeatedly at the factories and people's homes um, made me realise this is a thing that I didn't appreciate was you know, consistent throughout these Vietnamese families. Uh, and I wanted to have Easter eggs scattered throughout for the second generation Vietnamese children that I knew, like, like us, that I knew would really appreciate, kind of like an in-joke, but it's not a joke. Another word for in-joke, like a little, our little secret. Yeah, like a little um, link. little uh, message, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Speaking of uh, second generation uh, Vietnamese Australians, I mean, this story is very much about outworkers, but also, like you said, their families and their children. What was something you noticed about the children of these workers? And their, and their experiences of their parents working long hours and, and getting very little pay. Um, yeah, I think I found overall that the children were more likely to be advocates for their parents or to feel that what their parents went through was unjust, whereas the parents that we spoke to were more accepting of their reality. They, you know, weren't at the time, throwing their hands up and saying, I'm being exploited, I need to do something about this. They were just really focused on just finishing the task at hand and, like, making earning whatever money they needed for their family and persevering. And and it's not like they were all, I suppose, they weren't all in ex- super exploitative situations. 
I think some of them, some outworkers were really quite business savvy too. If they were highly skilled, you know, they could go and try and bargain for better rates and things like that. But yeah, I think returning to like what you're asking about children, they, when they were reflecting on this like point in their life, they, a lot of them did say that they didn't really think about outwork as they were growing up and living through it because it was just the day to day. Um, but then when they kind of thought back on it, you know, they really do appreciate the hardships that their parents went through. You know, they saw their parents sit at the sewing machine for 12 hours a day um, to pay for, you know, their private school fees or whatever it was they needed in their life. And so, yeah, I think giving them that like opportunity to just reflect on this, they've been able to like fully appreciate what the, all the hardships that their parents have, have experienced. Yeah, um, speaking of hardships, I think the drawings, Kim, that you did of sewing injuries was really striking, um, just the, the colours that you used and even the technique that you used to demonstrate where the pain was. I think a lot of people don't really think about the work that goes into to making these clothes what would you want people to know about the effects of, of sitting bent over a sewing machine for 8, 10, 12 hours in a day? I guess that it is, like you see the outcome is a beautiful piece of clothing or clothing that you wear every day, but you don't usually see the physicality involved in the creation of that. Um, so I guess ergonomics is, something that's more recognised these days, even in your knowledge worker, your office worker. Um, but back then, uh, because they worked not for themselves, but as contractors, as outworkers, they didn't really have anyone advocating for their bodies and their health. So they just um, made do, try to be as efficient and fast and productive as they could. But I don't think it was a huge theme for them. Like there weren't posters around saying, make sure you sit up straight or take breaks every 20 minutes. They were just... Uh, yeah, deadlines to meet and quantities to meet. So I, I do wonder if other children noticed it back then as well, because it was, it was something that I noticed growing up was that all the adults who sewed had bunions on their feet, like quite big ones. And, um, yeah, they had lots of ointments and comfort items around to soothe them, like massage chairs and wooden massage sticks and things like that, or Vicks paper rub and they'd ask, their relatives to, you know, do this coin scraping thing on the back where you release the bad humours. So, um, and that's probably not unique to, to outwork in that Vietnamese people often work very hard in very physical jobs and are very tired in their bodies. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even in factories, I think you can still have the same issue these days. So, mm-hmm. It's not isolated just to people working at home in like outside of a controlled environment. But, um, you know, if there's a factory where they're pushing their workers much too hard, like they're asking them to sew like a too many things in a short amount of time and pushing people to like sew and sew without breaks, then these kinds of injuries can still happen and do happen. Um, and just to touch on what you said before about children, um, advocating for their parents. I think because, you know, that second generation grew up in Australia and 
I, I don't know, you know, it's like a different work ethic. You know, we have like different beliefs around how we should be treated in the workplace. And that comes through both like being exposed to Australian workplace culture and the things that we learn in school. Whereas the generation, the parents generation before probably came, you know, back from the days in Vietnam where their, you know, a labor union wasn't super present in their life and yeah, advocating for themselves wasn't, um, in, in a very formal way, wasn't part of their lives. So you've been listening to an interview uh, that I did with Kim Lam and Emma Doe about their latest project, May at Now. And um, where we stopped just now, Emma and Kim were describing and discussing the injuries um, and the health, I guess, of uh, many of the outworkers who were sewing for hours on end in a day. Um, we're going to go to a quick song. This next song is Beautiful Baby, um, from, and it's by Elizabeth, and it's taken from her 2019 album, The Wonderful World of Nature. According to her website, Elizabeth is a glamorous, tragic, queer pop anti-heroine holding a curtain of glittering melodies over ugly truths. She will be embarking on a national tour soon with... Um, a uh, 3CR Tuesday brekkie favourite, Alice Skye.
So that was beautiful baby by Elizabeth. And um, now we're going to jump back into the interview that I did with Kim and Emma about um, their project May at Now. Um, the next part is going to um, be looking at the sometimes reductive discourse around the idea of locally made versus foreign made clothing. So there's a quote in the very beginning of the book. Uh, it's in the section note from the author, and I'll just read it out. While it's true that all of this can be done in Australia, viewing locally made as the only answer glosses over our own complex history with garment workers. Worse yet, we run the risk of ignoring exploitative practices that still linger today. The rhetoric of local as good and foreign as bad is reductive. So how do we start unravelling this? Could you speak a bit more um, about this idea of local versus foreign and and the increasing trend of of buying garments and products made in Australia as opposed to um, those made in China? Yeah, I think, you know, when Rana Plaza happened, um, that was a huge deal in everyone's mind. Like consumers around the world were suddenly, you know, um, privy to what was happening in fast fashion factories, um, not just in China, obviously, but in places like Bangladesh um, and around Southeast Asia. So there was like rightly so this um, consumer push for, you know, more ethical factories, safer factories, they didn't want to be buying from brands that were exploiting workers. Um, and I think part of the answer to that question, you know, people thought, well, we should be supporting locally made again. You know, we don't want to be relying on cheap labour. We should pay locals to do it and that'll be in fairer, better conditions. Um, but, of course, I think people, you know, and I also at the time, you know, I didn't know too much about what Australian manufacturing looked like, but people didn't realise that we had had our own issues with labour exploitation. And if you ask me, I think that's a problem that's endemic to fashion, um, fashion supply chain from the very beginning. It's not, you know, an issue that only happens in certain countries. It can really happen anywhere in any supply chain. So, yeah, when we when we go and say, hey, only buy made in Australia because then you know it's ethical, that's not true. Um, we actually have uh, an ethical clothing Australia body that certifies. for. Um, so it does the hard work for brands, you know. But basically, like, when a designer, say a local designer, goes out to get stuff made, they might, like, get contacts from, like, for this maker or that maker and this factory here and there. But um, aside from, you know, just going off the factory owner's word that they're paying workers a certain amount or they're, you know, obliging by these laws, there's no guarantee that the factory or the maker is doing that. So what Ethical Clothing Australia does is they step in and they verify um, that a factory or maker is um, abiding by labour laws and all that kind of thing. So, yeah, I think if you're buying in Australia, the only way you can guarantee that that what you're buying from has been ethically made is with that ECA stamp of approval. Um, otherwise, if a brand is marketing itself as Australian made, like you still don't know, you, you still don't have concrete proof um, of what is happening exactly in, the, in their supply chain. And you can always ask, you know, I would encourage people to ask their brands, their favourite brands um, to get more information on that. 
But yeah, and at this at the same time, you can manufacture ethic, ethically overseas. You know, there are um, international certifications like GOTS um, that certifies for both organic uh, and organic material and also um, fair labor conditions. And that's like quite a uh, what do you call it? A well-respected international certification. Um, Kim, I noticed on a few pages that the handwriting that you use or the font that you use will sometimes change. Um, could you talk uh, a bit about this decision, in particular the font that you use when you're writing in Vietnamese sometimes? Do you mean the... Um the really large hand lettering, the pull quotes yes. versus the smaller writing. Yes. yes. Rather than the inconsistency of my handwriting. <laughs> um, yeah, that, I actually asked my lovely mum if she could write a few sentences for me, those pull quotes, um, three times each, please, so that I can base that hand lettering on her handwriting. Um, because I do associate that style of um, lettering with being a very Vietnamese style of handwriting. Um, I just see it everywhere in, in the parent generation. I see it when we go and buy our banh mi and they write, you know, what sort of flavor the banh mi roll is. If you order multiple, they write it in red pen in that same handwriting. Um, so that's, I guess that's sort of another Easter egg for, for the second generation Vietnamese people. Um, I wanted to evoke a feeling of uh, kind of like familiar, familiarity, nostalgia with like that handwriting taken out of the context of just an everyday home memo handwriting that your parents would write and put into a book or an art object, I guess, like a, a something like this project. And I, I think it celebrates it more when it's presented in this way. Um, so, yeah, it was kind of very clear and obvious to me to to base the pull quotes on that, that style mm. just because it's supposed to be said in a Vietnamese voice. Kim and Emma, can you tell me, um, before we leave, one thing that uh, you took away from this project? It could be um, a particular story, it could be a moment, or even just the process itself um, of uh, collecting these stories and, and stitching them together to create this book. Oh, that's so hard, just one thing. <laughs> that's deep. I um, have to think about that. Actually, Kim, the other day you were talking about uh, the meaning of handmade, which I think, um, you know, oftentimes people try and like market their goods or their like clothing as special um, because it's handmade. But mm. something you realise when you go into factories and home workshops is everything is handmade. There is, you know, there's no robot that's sewing your clothing yeah. for you. The vast majority of people in the world are wearing handmade clothes. Clothes mass-produced are still handmade. I, I think for me, it's very basic, it's very primal, it's very simple, and it's just every interaction I had with the uncles and aunties and their children um, during our interviewing process just felt like home. And it was being immersed in the Vietnamese language that I was very surprised to feel not emotional, but how very deeply poignant it is because the Vietnamese language is so meaning dense. And I actually don't live around the Vietnamese language very often on a day to day because my parents live far away in Broad Meadows and I'm in Fitzroy. 
um, and we're not on the phone all the time. Um, so yeah, it was very, it was very touching for me to, to be teleported straight back almost into my childhood body, sitting on the carpet and just. Thank you so much, Kim and Emma, for speaking with me today about your project, May Nya, which is um, Work From Home. If our listeners would like to know more about this project um, and see the illustrations and learn more about the stories, um, where can they go? Um, You can visit us on Instagram. Um, Our Instagram handle is uh, May, M-A-Y underscore O underscore NHA. Um, and then also we have our website, which we will be updating with more information soon. Um, that is mayanya.com, M-A-Y-O-N-H-A.com. So this is 3CR Tuesday Breakfast, and um, you've been listening to an interview with Kim Lam and Emma Doe about their book, May Nya Working From Home. Um, if you'd like to know more, we'll link the we'll link you to their website and their Instagram um, in the show notes later this morning. Uh, we're now gonna go to an announcement and we'll be back right after this. Tuesday Breakfast would like to thank our friends at Living Coco for their support of the program. Living Coco puts community first by respecting food sovereignty. Based in Braybrook, they create bean-to-bar chocolates, cacao tea, intentional drinking cacao, and cacao mass in bulk. A zero-waste manufacturing space, Living Coco ethically sourced cacao from over 130 domestic village farms in Samoa. They are at livingcoco.com or on Facebook and Instagram. Earth Greetings have been making sustainable beautiful since 2003. Their 100% recycled cards, plastic-free stationery and earth-friendly gifts are made in Australia with the lightest possible planetary footprint. Shop online at earthgreetings.com.au or at one of over 500 stockists Australia-wide. Earth Greetings is a 3CR supporter. We're just going to go to a track now. Um, it's called Molotov by Kiapu. Get this whole party off. What? 
won't start till they see me walking in. No, I don't gotta rush, no, I really won't miss a thing. Cause the party don't start till they see me walking in. That was a song by Kira Peru called Molotov. We're going to go to some quick uh, news headlines yet again. Sorry, I should probably mention you're on Tuesday breakfast. <laughs> uh, 3CR Community Radio at the time is uh, just nearing on 8 a.m. Um, but a few news headlines about the budget. Yes, we were talking about the budget earlier. We have... Uh great um, opportunity for you to get in and hear what ordinary people have to say about the budget. Um, the AUWU, the Australian Unemployed Workers Union, are holding an event as part of the Break the Poverty Machine campaign or hashtag BTPM on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram and they're hosting a budget reply event. Normally you'd see a lot of you know talking heads hosting budget reply uh, events but it's never usually anyone who earns a normal income or a normal wage or is unemployed or who is in poverty who is able to have an opportunity to speak. So the AUWU is hosting an event at the Polish Club in Canberra and online as well at 6.30pm on Thursday the 13th of May to both hear the budget reply that actually matters. So it's the one that's from those resisting poverty. So unemployed workers... Demia Hayden at the, from the Anti-Poverty Centre and Kristen O'Connell from the AUW and the Anti-Poverty Centre will present their budget analysis in a discussion facilitated by Tim Hollow from the Green Institute. There's more information on AUW's Twitter at OzUnemployment or HTTP unemployedworkersunion.com. We've also retweeted the event page on our account as well. Um, an article I've just seen on The Age is that asylum seekers face interview of their lives as caseload blitz, blitz launched. Um, so the federal government is rushing to assess the status of more than 1,100 asylum seekers in an expedited interview process that human rights lawyers say is not fair and denies applicants justice by not giving them enough time to prepare. So basically people are expected to do these interviews which are described as the interview of their lives um, with less than two weeks to prepare because apparently the federal government is trying to wrap everything up before June 30, which is pretty significant. Mm, wow, that's crazy. Um, very stressful. Um, I mean, I'm sure that uh, everybody knows, but obviously the budget will be announced tonight. 
Um, so 3CR will also be broadcasting a lot of news about that, um, as well as keeping tuned to the Australian Unemployed Workers Union and on their social medias. Um, all right, well, I reckon we're going to go to a quick announcement and we'll be right back. Get ready to add your support during our annual Radiothon and be part of community-powered radio. 3CR Radiothon Fundraiser, June 2021. To donate, call 03-9419-8377 or donate online at 3cr.org.au. 3CR Radiothon, community-powered radio. That's definitely something to keep in mind uh, coming up in the next month that we will have Radiothon in June. Um, we'll be hosting a very special show during um, that week, so stay tuned for that. Um, we're going to go to a track um, by another quite uh, <laughs> extensively played artist on Tuesday Breakfast, um, this is Green Tea Peng with a new song uh, titled Nah, It Ain't the Same. Nah, it ain't the same Being a man today Nah, it ain't the same Nah, it ain't the same Being a man today Nah, it ain't the same Waking up to this disarray This uncertain is only seen through certain misery May a place on me, might get take from me All of this bullshit, I do not need it I believe in magic, because I've seen it Nothing you lately, girl, you know already How it goes, I've got a strong man, a strong girl From my head to my toe, back to my ego Earthly habits, they got to get going I get let go of desire, Fires that burn them and fuel them It's so hard to be human With a battle in mind I have lost our devotion over time I'm on a path of remembrance And I'm remembering fine I've been nothing that's mine Only borrowing time my kind Captain for God I'm worthy of this time With all these doubts in my mind Trying to cross the side Left the struggle in my right No, it ain't the same in a battle swell like city kids for me the poverty line I'm feeding my senses food for thought is money was because most of our so-called knowledge is rented, invented, depends on flippant frenzies, social scenarios, holler like Cheerios, you hear me though? Never thought I'd be coming out your stereo, but there we go, I'm active, yeah, it's retaining now. Now I ain't the same, being a man today. Now I ain't the same, now I ain't the same, being a man today.
Just playing over the top uh, is Green Tea Peng with the song Nah, It Ain't the Same. Um, Green Tea Peng is a London-based artist, um, one of my favourites, definitely worth checking out. Uh, we're going to go to a quick announcement and we'll be right back. The Rainbow Door is a free, culturally safe, specialist helpline for all LGBTIQA plus Victorians. The helpline provides information, support and referral from experienced peer workers on issues including mental health, family violence, relationships, suicide prevention and sexual assault. For information, support and referral, call the Rainbow Door on 1-800-729-367. That's 1-800-729-367, 10am to 6pm every day. Switchboard is a 3CR supporter. You're listening to 3CR on Tuesday Breakfast. This morning, uh, we've got a very special interview coming up. Uh, we're going to be talking to Janine Hurani, who is a Palestinian advocate, campaigner and educator who arrived in Australia as a stateless Palestinian refugee in 1997. She's currently the director of Road to Refuge, an organisation that aims to change the narrative around refugees and people seeking asylum by transferring the power of narrative back to those who are most directly impacted. Janine's joining us this morning on Tuesday Breakfast to speak about what's happening in Sheikh Jarrah. Thank you so much, Janine, for joining us. Thanks for having me. Uh, the fight to allow Palestinians to rightfully claim Sheikh Jarrah is, as their home is, isn't new. Um, legal claims from Jewish settler organisations have continued since the 70s. So the latest escalation that's happening at the moment is to do with the attempted forced expulsion of four families. Uh, they've sought refuge there since the 1948 Nabka. Can you explain what's happening this week? Yeah, sure. So Sheikh Radah is a neighbourhood in occupied East Jerusalem. Um, and when I say occupied, what I mean is that under international law, the land belongs to the Palestinian territories, but Israel is illegally occupying it and so has full control over the land. Um, and so Israel is allowing Israeli settlers to steal Palestinian homes in Sheikh Shazah. What that means is that Israeli settlers are physically entering the homes of Palestinians who've lived there for decades um, and essentially kicking them out and taking over their homes themselves. In response to these evictions, um, hundreds of Palestinians began peacefully protesting in the streets of Sheikh Nazar, um, and Israeli settlers responded to this with violence, which is backed by Israeli police. Um, and now, as I'm sure you've seen, this has expanded in an Aqsa mosque during the holy month of Ramadan. Um, while Palestinians have been praying, they've been trapped inside the mosque while tear gas is thrown into the mosque. Um, there's been police brutality inside the mosque and the mosque compound. Um, Palestinians are carrying bodies out of the mosque um, using prayer mats as stretchers. So it really has um, taken a really brutal and violent turn. Um, this morning I woke up to the news that 21 Palestinians were murdered in Gaza by Israeli airstrikes and 15 of those were children. So, um, you know, I heard a story of, of one of those children this morning who was a little girl who was returning home from buying her outfit for Eid, which is um, one of our two major religious holidays, and it's, it's on Thursday. Um, and I think about the fact that a few years ago, um, Palestine National Day coincided with airstrikes in Gaza. You know, the move of the U.S. embassy to Tel Aviv, uh, from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem in December 2017, happened days before Christmas. Um, Ahmed Arakat was killed at a checkpoint in 2020 on his sister's wedding day, 
you know, our celebrations attended the funerals, memorials and protests. And so even though I mentioned this idea of land before when I was defining occupied, this is about so much more than land. It's about human rights, human life and human dignity. Um, and like you said, Edie, the Nakba, um, which translates the catastrophe in English, um, occurred in 1948 and, and this has been ongoing. So um, in 1948, more than 700,000 Palestinian refugees, including my grandparents, were expelled from their homes. And what's happening, uh, what happened then is not unlike what's happening right now in Sheikh Shodah, which really goes to show that the Nakba is ongoing and what's happening in Sheikh Shodah is just the most recent manifestation of it. Yeah, absolutely. It's just a continuation of the violence against Palestinians um, that uh, continues um, to this day. And there, there's a mass social media campaign at the moment uh, to draw attention to the plight of Sheikh Jarrah. So there's the hashtag Save Sheikh Jarrah that I noticed in your handle and um, a lot of people's handles at the moment. It's being widely used across all of Twitter and Instagram and Facebook to try and educate people both in, you know, in other countries overseas and about the escalation in the crisis. But um, this has come with its own hurdles uh, from automated censorship and removal of pro-Palestinian content. Um, the, sorry, the Israeli government have also themselves said that um, they've confirmed that major social platforms are complying to requests to delete uh, information as well. Uh, has this been something that you've experienced or that your friends have experienced as well? Not me personally, but I know that a lot of people um, posts have been have been deleted. Um, and you know, the maintenance and expansion of the state of Israel relies on the erasure and the silencing of Palestinian lives and stories, and the destruction of our homes and villages. So I'm not surprised that our voices um, are being silenced. That's not really um, anything new. But at the same time, what we're doing is working. You know, the Israeli Supreme Court postpone the eviction um, for 30 more days and that's because of the local and international outcry that has been so effective and, and has been kind of spearheaded on social media and so I guess my message to everyone is to maintain the rage because the protesting and the hashtagging and, and all of this is working and it's important that we maintain the momentum because it's not over yet and this doesn't start or end with Sheikh Salah, as I mentioned. Yeah, and I know that a lot of the workload has been with you and other Palestinian activists to try and get the message out there. What's the best thing that uh, allies to the Palestinian cause and supporters can do to get the message out there? I think first and foremost, the most important thing is to amplify Palestinian voices. And when I say that, I mean, you know, there are so many um, Instagram and Twitter accounts of people on the ground in Sheikh Jarrah. And so I'm um, following those accounts and sharing the content that they're asking us to share. Um, BDS Australia and the Australia Palestine Advocacy Network released um, some content on social media as a guide to supporting Sheikh Sozah from the Australian colony. Um, and so people can access those two social media platforms um, and read up on how they can support Sheikh Sozah from this continent. Um, I also want to kind of um, bring light to the fact that the West, in particular the USA and Australia, are complicit in what is happening. Um, the USA gives Israel $3.8 billion in aid every single year. And um, the Australian government has in the past had billion-dollar contracts with Elbert Systems, um, and the Victorian state government ha currently has a $6 million contract with them. And Elbert Systems is a defence electronics company that actually tests its weapons on Palestinian children. Um, and so the Australian government has this long history of enabling and supporting Israel and its violent settler colonial endeavours and supporting the illegal occupation. So there's a responsibility for us here to 
put pressure on our Australian government, on, on the Australian government to, um, you know, sanction and divest from um, these companies and its complicitness in what's happening. So following on from that, uh, one thing that has really emerged in recent days, and it's been an ongoing problem in Australia for, you know, decades, is the complete absence of coverage in mainstream and independent news of any coverage that's specifically critical of Israel or even recognises the forcible occupation of Palestine. I always find that it's usually described in very vague terms, like they, they always say there's no easy answers or it's a complicated situation and always trying to sort of fence it a little bit um, and never really um, acknowledging the aggressors in the situation correctly. Um, so I, I've noticed, obviously, there's uh, recent experiences with this. A lot of um, Palestinian activists and their allies have pointed out that our national broadcaster has been quite remiss in actually um, talking about what's happening. Um, so what's happening now in terms of encouraging um, news outlets to talk about this? Well, I mean, the news outlets um, across the country have been um, really, really silent on this issue. And it's, you know, it's not good enough. It's not um, accurate reporting. And um, actually, currently, as we speak, there's a protest outside ABC in Sydney um, to try and get um, the ABC to, to increase their coverage of um, of what's happening. I'd also say that, you know, social media is a double-edged sword um, in a lot of ways. But the advantage of social media is that people on the ground, people who normally are not given access to platforms to have their stories shared and heard and have been actively silenced by the media in the past, are given opportunities to share their stories and to share what's happening. And so I would encourage people to um, to make sure that they're getting an accurate picture and to kind of, yeah, follow the accounts that I mentioned to make sure that, you know, the um, the real reporting from on the ground is, um, is being received. In response to the point about how, um, you know, a lot of people say that it's really complicated, you know, it's a really people talk about how long the inverted commas conflict has been going on um, and how complicated it is. Um, And, yeah, I just kind of want to note that um, it's not complicated. Um, Israel maintains a regime of settler colonialism, of apartheid, of ethnic cleansing and of occupation. And none of these concepts are new concepts. They've all occurred throughout history. You know, we all know... Um, what settler colonialism looks like. We live in a settler colonial state here in so-called Australia. Um, we're all aware of apartheid South Africa and what happened there and the anti-apartheid movement. Um, and so it's really important that we um, draw light to the fact that the Palestinian struggle is not unique and it is a manifestation of things that have occurred and enabled throughout history. Um, and, you know, drawing parallels between the different struggles um, doesn't only shed light on the commonality of, of our different movements, but also shows that as Palestinians ourselves, our freedom and liberation is inherently intertwined with the freedom and liberation of so many other movements around the world. So um, there's a big and growing um, black Palestinian solidarity movement here um, in so-called Australia around First Nations justice and acknowledging um, our shared, settler, shared struggle against settler colonialism. There's a big movement in the US um, around Black Lives Matter and... and um, drawing parallels and solidarity between black American communities and Palestinian communities. Um, actually, the training of many police forces in the U.S. were actually trained by the Israeli military. And so this police brutality and the militarization of the police is something that um, is, you know, we have a common um, fight against. 
Um, and similarly, you know, what's happening in East Turkestan, what's happening in Kashmir. This is cultural erasure and ethnic cleansing, and this is happening um, in different kind of versions all around the world, and it's important to draw parallels between um, our shared struggles and, and these different movements. Yeah, you mentioned the um, SNAP solidarity action that's happening at the moment yeah. in Sydney. Uh, so that's happening at 8.30, so within the next 10 minutes. Um, yeah. Um, and that's basically to bring att- draw attention to the fact that the ABC is not adequately talking at all about well, what's happening um, in terms of Israeli atrocities and to give light and voice to Palestinian people um, about what's happening on the ground. Yeah. And there's also in the resource that I mentioned that's been shared by APAN, the Australian Palestine Advocacy Network, and BDS Australia, there's also um, some events to attend. So there's um, protests and rallies happening across the country, Sydney, Melbourne, Adelaide, Brisbane, Hobart and Perth. So if you head to um, those social media posts, you can find out what's happening in your city um, and turn up and show solidarity with, with Palestinians. You can also um, make a complaint on the ABC's website and other news outlets as well in their complaints forms and urging them to cover the atrocities. Uh, there's also a survey that we've just retweeted on the 3CR Breakfast account. Um, to It's a petition to um, draw attention again to the ABC to um, allow better coverage um, of Palestine generally as well as what's happening in Sheikh Jarrah. Thank you so much for speaking Thanks, to us today, Janine. Thanks Very much for having me. Have you ever had a diagnosis of breast cancer or a gynecological cancer? Would you like to support other women as they go through their own cancer experience? Counterpart is a community-based service located in Melbourne. They support women right across Victoria who have been diagnosed with breast or a gynecological cancer. Counterpart peer support volunteers have all had their own cancer experience. They provide a listening ear and emotional and practical support to other women affected by cancer. As a peer support volunteer, you'll receive six weeks training one day a week. The 2021 volunteer intake will begin training in August. Applications close on June 7. To apply or find out more, visit counterpart.org.au forward slash volunteer or call our resource centre on 1300 781 500. Counterpart, women supporting women with cancer. A 3CR supporter. You're on Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR Community Radio. Uh, it's now 8.22 a.m. Uh, just on the back of that uh, really incredible interview um, that you just heard, uh, you know, at least uh, this is coming from if you need any live updates or anything of what's happening in Palestine. I know that 3CR doesn't usually um, plug, you know, large-scale media corporations, but uh, Al Jazeera is doing Al Jazeera, sorry, is doing live updates on exactly what's happening um, uh, in Israel at the moment. Um, they've actually just released um, uh, some comments that the Israeli Prime Minister um, has just said. Uh, he said he has intended to build in all of Jerusalem, calling it a natural right in sovereign state, according to a statement that he really, uh, was released by his office. Um, and this is a quote by him. I am saying it clearly to our best friends, 
All of Jerusalem is the eternal capital of Israel and will continue construction in it in all its neighborhoods, just like any other nation building and developing its capital. This is a natural right in a sovereign state and will not give up. We will not give up and we will continue to practice it. This is obviously in light of strikes. Oh, sorry. Um, uh, the sorry, I'm like losing my words. Um, the forced evictions of Palestinians uh, within the city. Um, also, there has been 20 Palestinians that have been killed in Israeli air raids on uh, the Gaza Strip, um, according to Palestinian Health Ministry. Um, this is after Hamas, which is a um, Palestinian Islamic political organization, launched rockets from the coastal territory towards Israel. Uh, also just wanted to mention uh, 3CR has um, an incredible array of different programs, um, but specifically we have um, uh, a Palestinian uh, program. So we highly highly recommend that you tune in to Palestine Remembered on 3CR. Uh, this happens every Saturday from 9.30 a.m. Um, they have news and views regarding the Palestinian situation. Uh, you can also go to our online website, www.3cr.org.au slash Palestine. We've also got the, Nab- the Nakba rally uh, in Nam happening this on sorry on Saturday May 22nd at 1 p.m. Uh, it's um, 73 years of Israeli colonization must end. It's starting at the State Library in Victoria. Uh, you can see the details on Facebook and also the Instagram for Palestine. Um, so share that event with your friends um, and please attend. Yeah, definitely. And I just wanted to mention as well, just um, scanning through a few of the responses from um, a lot of Western uh, states. A lot of them have kind of been narrowing in on condemning the rockets that were launched, the rocket attacks, instead of, I guess, the uh, actual siege that um, uh, the Israeli air raids, sorry, that uh, besieged the Gaza Strip. Um, So, you know, keeping in mind that... uh, (laughs) <laughs> the pa- Palestine needs your help. They don't have a lot of solidarity with these uh, greater powers, so um, please show your support. Three CR's annual Radiothon fundraiser launches in June, and this year we're asking you to be part of community-powered radio. It's only with your support that we're able to be independent, community-controlled, and focused on people rather than profits. Your support during Radiothon powers the station to give voice to hundreds of people and issues for another year. And remember, any amount you can afford makes a big difference, and all donations over $2 are tax-deductible. 3CR Radiothon. Show your support during June 2021. 3CR Community Powered Radio. So um, just to wrap up the show today, we started off with um, the news headlines and then we spoke with Professor um, Cheryl Saunders about the constitutional um, implications of the travel ban for citizens in India. And then we played an interview um, that was done with Kim Lam and Emma Doe on their latest project, May and Nya, a book that looks at the lives and experiences of Vietnamese outworkers in this country. 
And then we had a great interview with Janine Harani, who's a Palestinian advocate, and she spoke extensively about what's happening in Sheikh Jarrah. Um, and we also have posted various links to surveys and rallies that you can attend um, on our Twitter account. Just make sure that you tune in to um, the other breakfast shows this week and also stick around um, for uh, Giselle Hanna's show, Accent of Women, up next. 3CR Breakfast would like to thank the New International Bookshop, Melbourne's independent radical bookstore and venue, for their financial support of this program. You can find Nibs in the basement of Trades Hall in Victoria Street, Carlton. And while you're there, check out Radical Coffee, a worker-run cooperative cafe in the courtyard. Keep up to date with upcoming events at nibs.org.au. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.